1: This is the RDU On Stage Podcast. I'm Lauren Van Hamer, your host, and on today's episode, I'm chatting with Hoagie Bix Carmichael, Tony nominee Susan H. Schulman, and Michael Lichtefeld. If you think you don't know Hoagie Carmichael's music, you probably do. Anyone who has beat out Heart and Soul on the Piano, fallen in love with the soundtrack to Sleepless in Seattle, or can remember Ray Charles singing Georgia on My Mind, is familiar with Carmichael's songs. In fact, he wrote hundreds of songs, collaborated with lots of other artists like Frank Lesser and Johnny Mercer, and was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Hollywood Walk of Fame. His song Stardust has been recorded over 2,000 times and was selected for inclusion in the National Recording Registry at the Library of Congress in 2004. For the last six years, Carmichael's son Hoagie Bix, along with Tony-nominated director Susan H. Schulman, and choreographer Michael Lichtefeld have been developing a new musical featuring songs from Carmichael's catalog. The show is making its world premiere here in Sanford, North Carolina, a far cry from Carmichael's beloved home of Bloomington, Indiana. And that's where my conversation with Lichtefeld, Schulman, and Hoagie Bix begins.
2: Dad was forever a guy from Indiana. I've said this before. Um, forever until he died. His phone number was in the phone book. We went to restaurants. We never sat in a public, I mean a private space. He didn't need that really. He was a little like his music all about the flow. Somebody was asking me a couple of days ago many, four times I think I remember driving along with dad and he would stop and write a song idea on the hood of the car. If I may use the word genius, if he was and a genius, he was close to it, and as a lot of these guys were.
1: So in talking about this musical, Stardust Road, how do you pick, how do you
4: pick what songs to use out of this vast catalog of music it's, it's a blessing and a curse uh, it's you know it really is it's a blessing because you have so much to choose for and it's a curse because you have so much to choose from when when Hoagie called me about this project I I didn't know the catalog and I, I think my response was I knew the obvious songs right and I said well let me take a look at it and no, see I if I that. thought I mean I was really sort of really? Uh, let, let me look at the catalog and see if we did something theatrical we can find here. And when I went in to look at it. I was like, oh my goodness. And the song that I've known my whole life. Again, I had no idea he had written. And then when we went further, it became only, it was like Pandora's box. But one of the things we came up with rather soon uh, was the four decades in which he wrote, which was the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. So those decades were clear to us, and his music evolved over those decades, and that's part of the thing we're trying to show here, as well as the relationships evolving, that his music became more sophisticated, more complex, more internal, um, as far as the emotionality of it goes, and that's part of what uh, moves our story forward as
3: well. as Susan was saying, the the music Mm -hmm. gets more sophisticated as when ragtime is kind of where we start. And as the choreographer, it gave me a chance to, to choreograph four different decades of dance, which helps set, not only set tone, but set period, uh, because what better way than with movement to, uh, to show how it evolved, how we evolved.
2: And One thing interesting, I have a new favorite song of Dad's, a song I did not know existed four years ago called The World of No Goodbyes. Mm -hmm. It's written in 1944, World War II song, about, you know, you kiss them goodbye, they go off,
3: and who knows where they come back. And and what's what's interesting, when when we, I mean, you have no idea how big the catalog is, or maybe you do if if you look, (laughs) but, uh, you know, when when i went looking for stuff uh you know i like went oh my stars you know and 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 we we did we found the we found the world of no goodbyes and he like went, what is that song and the title caught my eye and i like went oh the world of no goodbyes hmm, let's listen to it and see in and, mm-hmm. and you know you have to go to spotify and youtube and everywhere mm-hmm. possible to try and get a to hear what it is but the the um the library at, at IU was incredibly helpful to yeah. us because we could go and and check stuff out and uh, and, and not only do they have um, Hoagie's music there but they also have handwritten lyrics, lead uh, yeah, lead sheets, which, the old-fashioned lead sheets yeah. at least. Around <clears> my hand, which yeah. which you know mm-hmm. help us say okay this the lyrics of this song are pertinent to the position to the plot that we're having here. Mm-hmm. But there was a song that he had not heard as of yesterday uh, <laughs> called Sitting in Whitland. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just an old time toe tapping ragtime piece that that we get to show off our, our live band, which is uh, really exciting for us. And and uh, they just they just wail on it. La- Larry Yerman, who, who's, who's not here with us, he's done an extraordinary work on this show. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us will agree that that his contribution to the show is immeasurable. It's,
4: it's quite a feat to keep something in period, but keep it modern, mm-hmm. but give it a modern twist. And a part of what we try to do is take songs that were written, uh, most of them are written as pop tunes. They were not wit- written in context of storytelling. Right? So we're trying to give them a storytelling context, meaning a beginning, a middle, and then a journey. And I have to compliment our performers um, and Larry, of course, because they've been able to take these songs and suddenly their character tunes and their plot songs and they, you see them, the performers going through a journey and having a revelation and all this things. So they stand as theater songs, um, which just goes to prove how, um, how talented he was.
2: And let me just quickly <laughs> yeah. inject because um, Dad almost never wrote for somebody or for something. Right. So it definitely was not written for it. The sole for context, a story. Right? Oh no, absolutely yeah. not.
3: We've got a, a, a relatively young cast performing these because we we made the decision early on to have young people doing old time songs to see what they what they bring to it
4: intrinsically. And, yeah. and I think
3: the thing that's astounding to this cast and and even in the workshops that we've done prior to this is how everybody relates to this music they all mm-hmm. just they all like went oh my gosh this stuff is so beautiful which it is mm-hmm. but they uh, it, it's unknown to them at the auditions you know Alec had, went, who knows really Ho- so. who who doesn't know who hokey carmichael is in all these hands yeah. it was mm-hmm. sad but the revelation to them of that you know, Georgia on my mind. It was not written by Ray Charles. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah. I think they've all kind of Im- taken this music to heart and have embraced, uh, you know, what we're trying to do with it.
1: Had he written for the stage once?
2: <laughs> I walk with music. Johnny Mercer wrote the lyrics. And, you know, they played
3: uh, the, the Barrymore for, I think, 43 performances. Actually, a lot of that music is in our show. We found the, the songs and like went, these, mm-hmm. well, I Walk With Music, which mm-hmm. is uh, one of the final numbers of the show, Is and the title of the show that, that didn't last. It, it's, it's so gripping, and you're know, like, you know, how did this show, not, with this kind of music how in did it, it not work? how did it not work? I'm curious, as so I'd love to read the show. The book, right. I'd yeah. love to read yeah. the book and go, yeah. just go, okay, well, what what happened? What, yeah. happened? what didn't yeah. work? All composers have shows that, you know, Irving Berlin had shows that flopped. So, I mean, it's it's not that unusual. But uh, something went wrong because the music that we've heard from the show is all pretty fabulous. Yeah.
1: One thing that surprised me about your dad, which I didn't actually know, is that he went to law school. Did he not think music was a viable profession? Did it, it was money, right?
2: Well, it was make a living. And when he was down in Palm Beach, um, at one point, even in my youth, a record store would almost always play music that you could hear out on the street. And dad was walking along that street and he heard, wait a minute, they're playing washboard blues. Red nickels. And the five pennies are playing my song. It's all a record. And within them, both sides were him. That was the moment where Dad said, I'm out of here. They Not like, going to be a
1: lawyer.
2: Well, they like my stuff. <laughs> They're playing my stuff. I don't even know it. Who made the deal for me? I don't know. Well, those but.
4: days, it was really oh, it was horrifying the, the way how writers did not get compensated for the use of their music. I mean, it took such a long time and a lot of a negotiation to get that done. Even today, it's hard to explain to young people why they have to pay <laughs> to use a song.
2: Jelly Roll Moton used to start at the top mm-hmm. of 22nd Street, which mm-hmm. was um, mm-hmm. uh, Tim right. and, um he would make a deal with four or five of them, knowing he was never going to get paid by most of them.
1: Well, and in your life, in your career, you have had a bond with other children of famous songwriters, Mary Rogers. I know you you set up uh, an organization uh, with Mary. M-song.
2: M-song. To protect
1: yeah. the legacy of this music and to protect the copyright.
2: What you haven't said is that we were working to extend the term of copyright 20 years. That's important, because you have songs like Stardust, Stardust now would be out of copyright. So would Georgia. And um, there was a groundswell of not just people in the music business, but PEN, the writers, and uh, the movie industry very much. In fact, Michael Eisner, is the guy that cemented the deal. He went to Washington, had dinner with Clinton, and he said, "Mickey uh, Mouse is going out of copyright soon. Same year as Stardust, 1927. And um, Clinton said, all right, that's all I need to hear.
1: So can you tell me about your dad's relationship with Bix Beiderbeck, your your middle namesake?
2: Well, dad was going to Indiana, trying to get a law degree. He had to make some money. He was booking bands in, uh, and had his own band, the wonderful theater in the theater, and um, he booked the Wolverines. Bix was in the Wolverines. He knew about Bix, he never met Bix. When they met, uh, maybe the second time, I'm not sure, after the gig, Bix said, hey, I hear you can, have you know, some music in you. and Dad sat down and played some stuff. For Bixsen, in four months they were down in Richmond, Indiana, recording. Mm-hmm. And for my father, I mean, that's, you know, catching a pass from Eli Manning or something or mm-hmm. Sandy Koufax. I mean, what? So he, it was, a, it was a, a mentorship that uh, started just that way.
1: Did your dad have any regrets?
2: Here's what Dad's regret was. Dad knew how to arrange music, I mean, uh, write music, and he knew about lyrics. He just did. And my father redlined Johnny Mercer, and he redlined Ned Washington, and he redlined everybody. And he came back with arguably a better idea. And Dad regrets that, uh, did regret, that he was not... um, a kinder and gentler soul artistically, with some of the writers that he worked with. That I heard that say that.
1: Did he have a favorite song?
2: Well, it's not in the show. Um, yes, he has a song that he loved called "One Morning in May." One morning in May. I love that song. Um, he also liked Stardust because it hit him on the hip. Made some money there. Um.
1: It was uh, just, uh, I mean, it was recorded 1,500 times, so. Oh, no, 2,
2: 2,300. 2,300 A woman called me 10 years ago and said, uh, my husband had one hobby and one hobby only, and that was collecting versions of Stardust. She said, I don't have them all, but I have 1,600. So she sent them to me, and they're
3: at Indiana.
1: Do you guys have a favorite song in the show?
3: Oh, I do. Just the shade on the blue side.
4: How little we know. There's something about mm-hmm. that song that just touches me every time I hear it. It's so true. Well, it and is it's so a
3: true. It's a Beguine. Beguine yeah. Who knew that Huggy mm-hmm. Carmichael wrote a Beguine? Cole is the only person that wrote a Beguine. <laughs> right. and, and we listened to it, and yeah. I like when yeah. there are two of them, that, that and Ivy, which are, which are both Beguine oh. rhythms.
1: Has the show changed in six years? I know you've been working on it a, a while.
3: Way, way back when we mm-hmm. first started with it, it was just kind of showing the evolution of the music and how right. it evolved uh, up the people to no, Hollywood. People had no
4: real relationships throughout.
3: But uh, mm-hmm. la- last year when we went to Indiana, relationships started to develop and, mm-hmm. and characters started mm-hmm. to develop. Uh, and and that kind of happened last, last year and mm-hmm. even more so here. Here. Because of the actress and because and we had the opportunity, to uh, Peggy Tapmore God bless, bless her.
4: God bless um, Peggy and the Temple.
3: And the Temple mm-hmm. Theater for mm-hmm. giving us this opportunity to to, co- to hone it and to continue working on it.
4: You, you can be in a studio for the rest of your life and you'll never find out where you find out by sitting out there and watching something on stage. You know, stage. you
3: have to realize. It reveals
4: itself We've never seen
3: it with a band. Mm-hmm. We've never seen it on stage. We've never seen it in costume. We've never seen it with sound. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a new beginning for us mm-hmm. on it. We had an
2: interesting thing happen because I went <laughs> to London and made a deal with Cameron McIntosh's brother Robert and we went over there and we cast the show and we had arrangements and all that. That was another show really. It's this show but it's another show and Michael and I were talking about that last night it's a good darn thing Mm-hmm. We didn't.
4: That's right. Go through. So it didn't happen. It um, didn't go through because it wasn't ready.
3: No, it wasn't. Ready. Well,
4: and, and we and, didn't really know, know that at the time. Now we know it.
3: No, I, I, yeah. I yeah. firmly believe that <laughs> Hoagie's looking down on us <laughs> and going, not that one, <laughs> this, <laughs> this one. Right. You know, I think yeah. and I believe it, and yeah. uh, because the the show changed dramatically from when mm-hmm. we were going to do it. What we would have in done
4: London. in London. Yeah.
3: And, uh, and 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 who knew? Had we done it there, it could have been the end.
1: What is it about? these old songs that still speak to us today.
4: Everybody can relate to the emotion. There is what we used to call a hook in the good old days, you know, where a song was started and you go, okay, there's a melodic hook and there's a structure to it that makes some sort of musical fence which carries the emotion to a place of release and people take that journey, they take that musical journey. Songs are not constructed that way by and large today. And it's it's that kind of classical construction that still holds true no matter what.
2: And it's interesting because um, much of the music, Dad's music, was originally jazz-driven. I remember, I don't know, I don't think Michael and Susan have heard this, but they had to move to Missoula, Montana because his father needed to find some job. <laughs> and I went to the house with Dad when Dad was making a picture out there, and it's a little house and all that. And the railroad tracks are from here to the door. And behind that was a row of brick houses, probably 20, all connected. And Jazz said, oh, yeah. He said, that's where the horror houses were in town. And there were also black musicians in almost every one of them playing ragtime and early jazz. And he said, I went down there and listened. And that stuff went and went and stayed there. So, you know, whether my father liked it or not, he was immersed.
1: Now, your dad, I mean, we're talking 40 years of music just as a snapshot in this particular musical. Did he ever talk to you about how the music industry had changed? You
2: have no idea. My father was really, really saddened and and believed very strongly that his music was, if not dead, soon to die. He ended up collecting coins. He ended up playing a lot more golf. There was no place, there was no avenue for his music. The Jefferson Airplane was making all the money. And my father died thinking that uh, his work had a life, and it was over.
1: What do you think Hoagie would say about having... Oh, a whole show like this please
2: you're gonna make me cry because I wish I really really wish you were really wish you he were here uh, to see this because it would it, it would erase to some extent those feelings he had for 12 15 years before he died
4: it's a terrible feeling to think that you've been left behind that what you've contributed is no longer relevant
3: I think one thing that we're trying to do with this particular piece is remind an audience of Hoagie Carmichael's legacy for people that may not know it.
1: I want to remind you that Stardust Road is now playing through November 3rd at Temple Theater in Sanford. More information on the production along with the transcript of this interview can be found in the episode notes. I've also put together a Spotify playlist featuring some of my favorite Hoagie Carmichael songs, and I'll be sharing that on our social media pages at RDU On Stage. If you like what you've heard today, please consider subscribing to the podcast, become a patron of RDU On Stage, or visit our website at www.rduonstage.com. Until next week, I'll see you at the theater.
0: that's chumbacasino.com. No
1: purchase necessary. DTW group void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.